Good morning. Welcome to the Journey Church. I'm so glad you're with us today. I want you to do something for me right now where you are. I want you to take a breath and exhale. That breath that you just took is a gift from God. No matter where you are in Christ Jesus, every breath you take is a gift from the Lord. And I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of everything. Everything. That's the title of today's message. Everything. And I think that as we proceed through our text, you will understand what I mean by that title. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36, it says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, everything, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's correct. Romans 11, 36, that's where we find ourselves today. It is the uh, wonderful doxology uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote after beginning in verse 9 or chapter 9, this section on, on grace in particular towards the people chosen of God. And so it says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This concept, if you'll look, we're just going to study this one little verse today. It is, it's just loaded. It is completely loaded with information to give us confidence, to give us comfort, uh, to help us to live an effectual life and, and, to, and to pray effectually as believers in, in whatever time or circumstance we find ourselves. And so this is offered up as a great comfort uh, to you and as, as I hope it will be as it has been to me. And so if you'll notice your text, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This idea begins with these two words, of Him. Of Him. It means God. It means God. He is the all-sufficient cause and the source of everything. God is the all-sufficient cause and source of everything. He is the source or you can write out the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the source, the sufficient cause and source of everything. And it is, uh, he, is, he is the one great cause and source, in fact, of all things, the Bible says. Then it uses this idea of through Him. You'll notice we have a Another preposition. Of is a preposition. Through is a preposition. Through Him. Through Him means God is the mighty sustainer and worker. Not only is He the sufficient cause and source of everything, but He is the mighty sustainer and worker. Jesus Christ even said of His Father in John chapter 5, verse 15, He says, My Father work here hitherto, and I work also. And so through Him means He is the mighty sustainer and the worker. And through Him as mighty worker who without creature assistant brings into effect 
without the assistance of the created order, without the assistance of creatures, He brings into effect, into realization, one by one, that which He desires by His counsel. So of Him, we have the sufficient cause and source of everything. We have the beginning. Through Him, we have the mighty sustainer and the worker. That is, we have the agent. We have the middle. Whereas one is the source, the beginning of Him, through Him is the agent or the middle, and then it says unto Him. Unto Him. Unto Him means God must call every creature into account to Him. Every living thing, every created thing that has breath will be called to account before God. All things, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, flow towards God, the God of the Bible, Jehovah. And you see it says, and unto Him as, as, as the right and proper and necessary object and end. For how could a creature be the final object? Many live today as if they are the final object. They don't have peace in this world. They are distressed. They are, they are discomported. They are dysfunctioning because they live their life as if they are the created end. That which they have created themselves they believe is a created end. Do you remember that breath that you took just a moment ago? It is a gift of God. For from Him, out of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And so the reality is this, is that we're not the final object. He is. It would, be, it would ruin the creature it would actually make, if, if you and I became the end of the creation, we would be like Satan himself in our thinking. We would be like Satan, we would make Satans of ourselves, and then we would make Satan of God. Because the reality, it would be unrighteous for any creature to be made the end or the object of the glory of the Creator. I am made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. That We are not made in the images of ourselves. We are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And that is a great truth. When Jesus Christ uh, was with His disciples and they needed money to pay the toll, He said, go into the water and find a fish. They went and found a fish. They caught it and inside of its mouth was a coin. And Jesus said these words. He says, whose image do you see upon that coin? And they said, we see the image of Caesar. And Jesus replied and said, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. There is no great mystery as to what Jesus meant. The coin belonged to Caesar. He was the government. It belonged to him. And the toll belonged to Caesar. But what did Jesus mean when He says, render unto God what is God's? Well, the reality of it is, is whose image do you bear? You bear the image of the Lord. You see, you are not created as the end. You are created for the end, for Jesus, for God the Father. Notice, we have of Him, 
the source who is the beginning. We have through Him the agent who is the middle and unto Him who is the goal. Unto Him who is the goal. God is the goal, the end of all that is. God is the end of all that is. To whom be glory, the glory belongs to Him of all ages, all things, the end, the object of the glory of the Creator are all, are all things. Note the idea of all things to whom all glory belongs to. The glory belongs to Him in all ages. Are we robbing God of His glory by taking credit for the things that we have no business taking credit for? We have no business claiming that we are the end of because the glory belongs to Him and Him alone. The Bible says God will not share His glory. And so He is the beginning, He is the middle, and He is the end of all things. And if you think about all things, notice the word. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. All things regarding the sun and the moon, the stars of light, the earth, the atmosphere, the trees and the animals, all things. Our body, for those who study the human frame, agree with David, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Our minds with power, as Locke says, capable of almost anything. Job even said in chapter 38, 36 of his book, who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the mind? But then our spirits also, which can be spoken to directly by the Spirit of God Himself, putting us thus into intelligent conversation with an infinite Creator of all things, yea, of Him, through Him, and unto Him, are all things, both in our body, our mind, and our spirit, all created. For him. He's the beginning, the source, he's the middle, the agent, and he is the goal, the end of all things. That's who he is. He is, for you and I, everything. Everything. In the good times and in the bad times. When you're hot or when you're cold. When you're happy or when you're sad, when you have a smile on your face or you have tears running down your eyes, and you're waking up or in you're lying down, and you're going out or you're coming in, in your labor and in your leisure, He's everything. He's everything. That very breath that you can take is proof. He's everything. Because, dear friend, if you can't take that breath, it's because there is no more breath for Him to give you. He's everything. He's the source, the agent, the goal, the beginning, the middle, and the end. But He's not just the end. He's the end of all things. As it says, To Him be glory unto the ages, it goes on to say, To whom be glory forever, Amen. I would do it in Greek. It, it wouldn't help you, but it is absolutely a beautiful phrase in the Greek to read that sentence. How it says, in our, in our translation, it's to whom, to whom forever, 
to whom be glory forever. In the Greek, it comes across as to him be glory unto the ages. Aeonis, the eons. And now the ascription of his proper honor forevermore. You see, this is the proper honor for God. To him be glory unto the ages. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the reason you were put upon this earth. It is the reason you're able to draw breath. He put you here because He's the source. He, he's left you here because He's the agent. And He's going to call you home because He's the goal. The end of all things. What a prospect for redeemed sinners. In the ages to come, ages of worship without end in which glory will be ascribed to God and only to God, and that with ever-increasing delight. Not only will you worship God in eternity through Christ Jesus, but your worship will increase. It will grow in delight. It will be the greatest thing that you do in heaven is worship giving all honor and description to God. He is the end of all things to whom belongs all glory and honor forever. See, even in eternity, He's everything. He's everything before Alpha. He's everything after Omega and everything in between. That's who He is. He is the source of all our comfort. Everything that we digest in this world, if it is apart from the understanding, this granite bedrock of truth that God is everything from Him and through Him and to Him. That is the bedrock on which we, those of us in Christ Jesus, those who have been, God has caused to be born again, that is the bedrock of our life. It's not worry. It's not anxiety. It's not panic. It's not it's not even being flustered or discombobulated. It simply is of truth that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to His glory forevermore. And then it says, Amen. Amen is a Hebrew word that is also a Greek word that means a word that is eager with glad-hearted consent. So be it. So be it. You see, for the ages, if you look at this doxology where he says forever, Amen. He says this for the ages. One says that this is the sublimest apostrophe existing even in the pages of Scripture. Look at verse 33 with me. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! Exclamation part. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. It is a fitting apostrophe. 
It is a fitting thing that it ends with this word of glad-hearted consent, a word of eagerness. So be it. Amen. Amen and amen. And because of out of Him and through Him and unto Him are all things, to Him be glory forevermore. That for sure is a reason that the saints will give praise to God. That's the reason we exalt God. And it is against this. It is against this very nature of God, this very truth of God, this very bedrock foundation, this granite of our faith that the serpent and his seed con constantly fight and war over. Let me show you what I mean. As I conclude this exposition portion of the message, I want to have you look with me at Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. I think that you will see that this is very relative to the time in which we live here in this, this time of uh, this epoch of time, so to speak, here in the 21st century. Psalm chapter 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds to pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my King on my holy hill in Zion." I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the end of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in Him. You can write out of there Psalm chapter 2. You can write across the top, see Romans 11.36 as the proof of why Psalms chapter 2 is indeed being carried out in the very days in which we live just watching the news, just consuming the news today is cause enough for us to see the derision that is taking place in the world. But I would rather be known, and I would hope you would be rather known as a person in Christ who is calm, who is committed, who is settled, who is founded upon this bedrock that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. It does not matter what is taking place around me. In the end, it's all about Him. I am here and you are here because He is the source, He is the agent, and He is the end of all things. He is the goal. 
So that is the reality is, is that if Satan cannot be himself worshipped, he will beget in men's, man's wicked mind a philosophy or philosophies. One is evolution. Evolution is absolutely ridiculous. It takes more faith to believe evolution than it does to believe that God sent His Son to take away the sins of the world. There is also this idea of man's wicked mind, this massive consumption of information today that does not point one to God but to one's circumstances. If I was the devil, I would do that. I would absolutely blind men to the brilliance of who God is and His control by scaring the daylights out of them that they will lose their income, their freedom, their guns, their Bibles, and everything else under the sun that matters to them most. That's what I would do. The third thing I would do is take the Bible out of their hands and, and have them relegate it to the idea that it's just an ancient book and have them convinced because they say they're Christians and therefore they're saved as if their own Christianity depended upon their own testimony of what they believe. And the fourth thing I would do, I would go to the pulpits of America and around the world and I would put, install demons and that masquerade as ministers of light and I would have them preach to your most felt needs instead of preaching to you what God demands of man and that is that we be holy and righteous and obedient. Wow, that's almost doing the devil's business. I'm almost ashamed that I could decide to do at least four things, but you must understand, having read the Scripture over and over again, we kind of can read the playbook of his plans. And I want you to know something. The devil's not a creator. He can't create new things. Some folks that walk in eminent confidence amongst you that you may believe are arrogant Christians may have been people that have trod the path you currently find your feet on right now. They have been through the trap. They have been through that. They have the scars. And instead of you thinking they're judging you and you judging them, in turn you may ask them, do you know the way out of this? Do you know how the devil has played me? And the answer, unfortunately, for many of us is yes, we do. And we have the scars to prove it. But by the grace of God, He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And I have found that over the course of life and 20 years of ministry and 20, nearly 26 years of marriage and being a dad and being a friend and being a man in community, I found that God takes many of the scars and He turns them into beauty marks. How does He do that? Because it's from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. He is the end. And so men professing themselves wise though in these matters, they become fools. The Bible says, as they believe that they are in, that they are the ends of their own creation, their retirement, their wealth, their houses and lands, their cattle on a thousand hills, and all of those things. They've believed themselves to have arrived. They may have arrived by the standards of the earth, but if they find themselves struggling with the news of the day, they have not arrived at a place of peace. Jesus even said, I will give you my peace. Peace that passes all understanding. It's a sad person to meet that always believes everyone's out to get you. And if you continue to turn on the airways and read the press and all those things, you will become convinced of this and you will forget the enormous truth, the absolutely bedrock of our faith. And that is that from Him and through Him and to Him are all, on, are all 
things, our number one priority on this earth, our second, I'm going to give you our two priorities. The first one is to um, glorify the Lord. Well, it, actually, Jesus says it. Uh, um, you shall honor the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Uh, basically, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's that's kind of what that says. Here's priority number two. Refer to priority number one. Okay. And so that's the exposition of the text. That's what the text is saying. That's what the text means. The text means what it says, and it says what it means. God is the source, He is the agent, and He is the goal. He is the beginning, He is the middle, and He is the end. All right? Now, let me give you an affirmation. You've had an, uh, you have had a uh, exposition. Now let's have an affirmation of what's taking place in context. Paul's affirmation of the centrality of God in all of creation may relate specifically here to verse 35. Or who has first given him to him and it shall be repaid to him. God, we don't give God anything that we expect him to give back to us. We owe him, we, we owe him everything and he owes us nothing. There is nothing that we can... Listen, how in the world could I give God anything where He would owe me if He is the source of everything that I have? <laughs> and if He is the means by which I have it, and if He is the source and the means by which I have it, then He must mean that, I must, that He must be the end of why I have it, so it must be His all, all together. It kind of makes sense. But I would ask you this. You'll notice here, he says, that the concept of God as the source, the sustainer, and the goal of all, of, of all things is particularly strong with the Greek Stoic philosophers. Now, I, I find some interest in what the Stoics do. The Stoics are kind of like ancient Vulcans. If you've ever watched Star Trek, uh, you have been familiar with the famous Mr. Spock, who is void of emotion. Uh, Mr. Spock is a representation of ancient Stoicism. Uh, they're they're logic-based. They do not make decisions emotionally and so forth. This is nothing new, and that's what the Greek Stoic philosophers were like. And Stoicism is still around today, and it has some attributes of note, but it is not consistent with the faith of Christianity. The Hellenistic Jews, however, during the time at which Jesus walked the earth and when Paul uh, was writing uh, the apostles under the writing the scriptures under the inspiration of scripture, the Holy Spirit rather, the whole world at that time had been Hellenized, and that was that Greek Stoicism had moved amongst the Jewish people and their culture, and so the Jews picked up the language of the Stoics and applied it to Yahweh. The, the, the holy name of God. And it is probably therefore from the synagogue that it is where Paul borrows this stoic idea of God being source, sustainer, and goal. Okay? And so for example, it says, for from him, the preposition from, speaking of source, and through, speaking of sustainer, and to, speaking of goal, are all things is is a prep are the prepositions 
that are speaking of God and the cosmos of all things. Now that's how the Greek Stoic philosophers looked at it at that time. And it was widespread in the ancient world. So what you must understand is that Paul was speaking to the culture that was lost using the language that they understood. So here Paul is taking a page from Stoic philosophy that he himself probably was schooled in and trained in growing up as a Jew and then having studied under Gamaliel and all of these things. Paul was a man of his culture as well. And so what do you have? You have, you have Aristotle found in this, the concepts of Aristot Aristotelian logic. You have Philo. You have Seneca. You have Marcus Aurelius who is quoted even to day very much by Stoic philosophers. And then you have the Hermetic of Asclepius. And so the idea is you have this whole process, uh, this culture going on where Paul is explaining God in the terms the culture understood in those days. And he does it here in Romans 11.6, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This is a Stoic phrase. It's, and so, you know what this means? This is a phrase of affirmation to people. This is a phrase of affirmation to people, and it is a reason for people... Listen, this is good news. This is a reason for people to turn from the news and turn to the Lord for everything. And so this, these, these, this, this from, through, and to preposition, he ascribes to the universe with all the phenomenon concerning creation and redemption, the providence of God as the source, the agent, and the goal. You see, God is the source, the agent, and the goal of creation, redemption, and His own providence. And we stand in, for, and we stand, we stand in awe before a gracious Lord and rejoice that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. With the 24 elders, we say, who will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the thrones. We proclaim, Worthy art Thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou created all things, and because of Thy will they are created. They exist and were created. That is the God whom we serve. That is the God who is our source, who is our agent, and who is our goal. Paul is clearly speaking of God the Father here. There is no contradiction in Scripture. He is clearly speaking of God the Father, a Father who gives fatherly sovereignty. And his purpose is to underline the uniqueness of the sovereignty of God that has been the focus of these verses. What should be our response to the contemplation of God's supremacy in all the universe? I want to ask you that as you are eat up right now with the news of the day. I want to ask you as you are eat up right now with putting, giving good gifts to those whom you love. I want to ask you, what are you concerned with? Who, how, how does the supremacy of God in all of the universe affect you while you're dealing with cancer or a broken relationship? How has it affected you as you deal with a pandemic or, or with uh, unemployment? How does it affect you? 
the supremacy of God in all of the universe? Well, there's an affirmation. It should affirm you. It should affirm you that in all of your circumstances, we learned <clears throat> from the examination of the text, we learned the idea that He is the source of everything. He is the agent, and it is all to His end. Today will pass. Today will pass. I had a professor once that used to use this term all the time. I wanted deep answers to why I struggled with some of the things I struggled with as a student at one point in my life, and he said, James, this too will pass. That did not, that did not satisfy my heart. It sure didn't satisfy my mind, but now I think I understand 12, 15 years later. It will pass. Why? Because God is the source of everything. He's the agent of everything, and He is the end goal of everything. What an affirmation. We've had the exposition. We have the affirmation. Now let's have a consecration. Let's have a consecration. Let's use this to make us more holy. Let's use this to progress in sanctification. I'm asked often, who do you read for theology? One of them is a great theologian named B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield, one of the great Princeton divines, and he wrote in an essay saying, the biblical writers find their comfort continually in the assurance that it is the righteous, holy, faithful, loving God in whose hands rests the determination of the sequence of events and all their issues. The root of, the, of God's sovereignty are planted in His unsearchable love by which it appears as a supreme act of grace. What a tremendous quote. What a tremendous quote. And that's why I read Warfield. Isaiah 9, verse 6, the Messianic prophet, which says the government and sovereignty is upon the shoulders of Him who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Christ, the warm and fatherly sovereignty of God of the Scriptures is vastly different from the cold and capricious sovereignty of other gods such as Allah. Fatherly sovereignty, like the Incarnation itself, is in perfect harmony with all of God's attributes. Truly the, truly the man and woman in Christ finds peace in the conviction that behind God's all-encompassing providence is the full acquiescence of the triune God. The sovereign grace and love that went to Calvary has the whole world in its hand. God's fatherly sovereignty in Christ is the essence of all who God is. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. It is crucial that each one of us understands that God created the universe for His pleasure and for His glory. That's Revelation 4 verse 11. And it includes God creating you. He created you for His pleasure and His glory. That's Isaiah 43, verse 7. God did not make the world first and foremost for us, but for Himself. He made it for Himself. 
Everything is created to bring Him glory, and that means you and me too. That is our chief end. That is our highest purpose. That's why we are here. We're to reflect Him and His ways through our thoughts, our choices, our actions in such a way that people look at us and can't help but give glory to God. See, God is the Lord of life and He is the sovereign of the universe. He is the Lord of life and the sovereign of the universe whose will is the key of history. His will is the key of history. He is free and independent of any force outside of Himself to accomplish His purpose. That He knows the end from the beginning. That He creates, sustains, He governs, and He directs all things. And that His marvelous design will be fully and perfectly manifested in the end of the ages. For from Him and for to Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You see, let me help you understand this. You say, how does this affect me? What are you, what are you ranting on about, Dr. Egan? Well, in an argument which began with man's rebellion, you see, this argument began over here in Romans chapter 1. If you'd like to look there with me, I'll show you where this argument began. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, suppose, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what, they be, what, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. And the birds and the four-footed animals and the creeping things, therefore God has given them up to uncleanness, the lust of their hearts to dishonor them, their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth, for God, the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the created, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Now what you must understand there is a section to the book of Romans. And the first section to the book of Romans begins in chapter 1. And it ends with this doxology in verse 36 of chapter 11. So you see how man has decided he shall become the end of himself, where all of creation gives a demonstration of who God is, but man did not want to know that this is God. He did not want to know this is the creation, the Creator behind all of it. And so what did he do? He exchanged the image of the Creator, which was himself, and he began to worship himself and he, the created things he has. And people do this today. They worship their IRA, their bank account, their tax reports. They worship their position in life, their status in society. They worship all these things. They have exchanged it for the glory of God. And Paul says at the end, having said this, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become His counselor? Who, or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid of Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Wow. 
You see, in the final, announce, in the final analysis, you have the election of Israel here in chapter 11, the gospel the outreach to the Gentiles, the whole course of salvation itself, they are simply aspects of the most fundamental relationship of all, and that is the Creator with His creation. To Him alone be glory forever and ever. How fathomless, how fathomless is the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who but God could have conceived a plan that would turn the disobedience our disobedience into an occasion of mercy and in the process reach out universally to all who would believe. How inscrutable are His judgments. His decisions are beyond the range of human vision or comprehension. How unsearchable are His ways. His methods are mysterious and beyond our ability to grasp. Philip trans Phillips translated it this way, How could man ever understand his reason for action or explain his methods of working? As God said to the prophet Isaiah, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. No one grasps the mind of God or could ever serve as his counselor. No one has ever advanced anything to him, so deserves a payment in return. God is a debtor to no one. And it's all by His plan. The infinite Creator reaching out to His creation to walk with His Christ. You see, friends, He's everything. He's everything. It is God who has set everything in motion by His creative Word. He is the source, He is the ancient, and He is the goal of it all. All things find their origin in Him. Through Him everything exists and is sustained and directed, and all things exist for His glory. Therefore be praised to Him and glory forever. Amen. That should make you want to be more holy. We've had the exposition. We've had the affirmation. We've had the consecration. Now, let me briefly give you the application. Another theologian that I read is a man named Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge. Listen to these words. God's sovereignty is to all other doctrines what the granite formation is to other strata on the earth. It underlies and it sustains them all. But it crops out only here and there. So this doctrine should underlie everything of our life, whether it be our preaching, our penance, our praise, or our prayer. And it should be definitely asserted only now and then. We shouldn't have to assert the foundation. It is the foundation. It is who we are. We should know it so much we don't have to remind ourselves of it just as we don't have to remind ourselves to breathe. Because this, this exposition and affirmation and consecration and application, this too is a gift from the Lord. This is His Word. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God, the Scripture says. In just the previous chapter,
And so, a holy, a holy will that rules the universe, this is speaking of God, God's Word, God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is not arbitrary. But is a holy, but is a holy will that rules the universe, a will which loving kindness is locked up in. The will of God has within it locked up loving kindness to be in due time displayed. It is a solemn thing that we and all His creatures are at the disposal of the pure will of God, but it is not merely free will. It is a free will of the sovereign Lord Jehovah. I was asked the other day about free will. Do we have free will? The answer is no. The only one that has free will is God because His, because His will is untainted by anything. He is truly free. And He is free to do with us as He wants. And His will is locked up in loving kindness. It is locked up in purity. It is absolutely not dependent upon anything, and therein it is distinguished from the abstractness and apparent arbitrariness of man's will itself. If man has any will, it's an arbitrary one. But God, on the other hand, He is sovereign. So how would we apply this in our life of application? I could spend a long time giving you many examples, but one I think will be most helpful in the time at which we find ourselves now. How would we use this verse of Scripture in our prayers? In our prayers. You see... There are many, and most, who are so unsettled right now, they're listening, more, they're listening more to other sources than they are listening to God, His listening to His Word and speaking to Him about it. And so let me show you something, a very brief outline you might like to write down. Let us talk about this application in the concept of effectual prayer. The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe that's James 5.16. So the origin of prayer is the purpose of God. That's the first thing I'd want you to write down as an application. When you pray, the origin, prayer, the origin of prayer is the purpose of God. When you pray, it's the purpose of God. What you pray, it's the purpose of God. It's to be the purpose of God. What is the objective of prayer? Number two, the power of God. The power of God. I'm sorry, I said objective, I meant operation. What is the operation of prayer? The power of God. The first one is the origin of prayer, the purpose of God. The second one is the operation of prayer, which is the power of God. And you see, God gives us a desire to pray. He gives us a desire to pray, He gives us a direction to pray, and He gives us a dynamic of prayer. He's given us all of this. Maybe we'll have a sermon using this little outline soon. But then there's the objective of prayer. The objective of prayer is praise. See, you have a three-form formula right here. Thy origin of prayer is the purpose of God. My operation of prayer is the power of God. And my objective of prayer is the praise of God. My chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Then my prayers are about Him. They're powered by Him. They're purposed by Him. And they're to bring praise to Him. See, effectual prayer is this. Let me show it to you. You might want to write this down. Pr 
Prayer is the Holy Spirit finding a desire in the heart of the Father. Prayer is, effectual prayer is the Holy Spirit finding a desire in the heart of the Father. That's the purpose of God. Putting that desire in our hearts. That is the power of God. And then sending it back to heaven in the name of Jesus and the power of the cross to the glory of God. It's like a triangle. You have the Holy Spirit finds in the heart of God what He wants the people of God to pay, pray about. And then in that, they, 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 God puts that desire in us, the Spirit puts that desire in us, and then we pray it in Jesus' name. That's the power. And we do it for what reason? The glory of God. But see, if you live your life where you're the created end, that's not how you end your prayers. When the, when the Bible says we're to give thanks over our meals, it says we're to eat and give thanks to the glory of God. It doesn't say anything else. That's what, a, that's what a meal is. That's what saying grace is. Lord, thank you for this food. We eat it for your glory. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all of the glory of God. So really sitting down and when you eat is it an act of worship. When you pray is an act of worship. We eat for the glory of God. So effectual prayer, the Holy Spirit finding a desire in the heart of the Father, then putting that desire in the heart of the, the creature, the Christian, and then sending it back to heaven in the power of the cross resulting in the glory of God. That's what prayer is. That's how you use prayer with this passage, this application. There's a reason why so many of us are just on the shores of effectual prayer. You're just on the shores of it. You're right there. You're just there. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to, to whom be glory forever. And God's people said, Amen. So let me tell you, in closing, let me, under, let me, under, let me help you understand everything about God's greatness. I'm going to do it in the next one minute. I'm going to help you understand everything about God's greatness. I, want you, I don't want you to write this down. I want you to listen to it. Just shut your Bible and close your eyes. You're meant to hear this. Don't try to write it down. I'm going to explain to you every, the everything, why God is everything, in one minute. This is the scope of God's greatness. This is the history of the world in one sentence. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. I don't have to know your story, friend, but this is a testimony of your salvation in one sentence. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. This is the story of your life, believer, in one sentence. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God is the first cause and the effective cause and the final cause of all things. He is the source and the sustainer, the significance of all things. He is the source and the force and the course of all things. He is the originator of all things. He is the perpetuator of all things. And He is the terminator of all things. He is the foundation of all things. He is the being of all things. And He is the purpose of all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega and the every letter in between. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To the glory of God forever. Amen and Amen.
Let's pray. Father, thank You for these words of encouragement. Thank You that You, are, you have given us a new name by which to call You. Everything. You truly are everything. You are our everything. Those who are in Christ. The woman in Christ. The man in Christ. Those whom You, Father, have caused to be born again. You are their everything. You are the source. You are, you are the force. And You are the course of our life. I pray, Father, that we may use these few moments, these words of exposition and affirmation and consecration and application, Lord, that, and, and, and in the end, exclamation, to walk in these truths. These are transformative truths. And that, Lord, we may be at perfect peace because no matter what we face, we know the fatherly sovereignty of God Almighty. Everything is of Him, is, is for Him, it's through Him, and it's to Him. And may that be the bedrock by which we labor and live and breathe by Your grace alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.